0: Mama Rini's, nestled on the corner of Market and Main Street in downtown MacArthur, Ohio, this is the kind of hometown pizza shop where locals who have lived in Vinton County for decades gather to reminisce about the good days, hey, the past. Hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, nice to hey, meet well. you. Hey,
1: Coach. How you doing, man? How are you doing, Robert? I'm good, good, good. I got a bad shoulder, but I'll let you hit it. It's okay. It's okay. All
0: right, MacArthur has always been a small town in the woods of southeastern Ohio, Never more than 2,000 people lived here at once. And for Bob Guerrillo, it's a sports town. The county juvenile court judge helps run youth sports leagues in Benton County. He knows MacArthur like the back of his wrinkled hand. Here's
2: our state State champion, if you want to see this. Our one guy, this guy was a state champion for us. Sure. Cross country right here. Which is uh, wow. A he was our first guy in our Hall of
0: Fame, and that was 1981. Yeah,
2: he had to run. I think he won twice. In the the
1: first place is drop across the yeah. country. I said I brought
0: it back. Guerrilla points to a black and white picture of a skinny runner with wavy brown hair. The word Vikings emblazoned across his uniform. Mitch Beasley ran two and a half miles in a then state meet record for 12 minutes and 3.4 seconds for first place in 1980. Mamarini's is full of these pictures and posters documenting Benton County athletic glory. You almost feel like you're in a museum. Faded pics of football players, basketball players who have moved or passed away. Most locals know about people like Beasley. But on the far wooden wall hangs a picture of a baseball player whose name only old-timers like Grillo could tell you. And when Grillo gathers local kids to play baseball, he does just that. And I
2: bring him up to my... I coach all kinds of youth sports and I bring him up to my kids because I'm being a juvenile judge. I really try to express academics to kids and I said, you know, how many guys think they're going to play Division One football? And they all raise their hand. I go, how many people have played Division One football from here? And they always guess like 20. And I go, well, there's been two and one got a scholarship, one got a Naval Academy appointment. And then I go, how many have played Division One basketball? And I go, 50. Oh, and the answer is none. And then I go, but how many have played Major League Baseball? And they go, none. I go, well, there's actually one. And it's a Dickie Bates. And then I've never heard of I And mean, I tell them the story of Dickie Bates, and he made it to the Major Leagues. And everybody's kind of goes, that's pretty cool.
0: Welcome to the first episode of Time Stop. I'm your host, Liam Meyer. In this series of episodes, we'll explore two stories surrounding dates and history. Dates in history that changed an individual, impacted a community, and transformed the worlds of many. This episode is the first of a two-part story that emanates from an April 27, 1969 sporting event. But a word of warning. Our story may run counter to today's sports media narratives, saturated with the stories of people and teams who reach the top, win the championship, and take home the gold. Instead, this sports story is about a father-son relationship that's never made headlines, yet it personifies the often understated journey to greatness inherent to southeastern Ohio. This is the story of how that day, April 27, 1969, changed the course of Dick Bates' life. Bates, one of the only professional baseball players to make it out of Vinton County, is the fireball pitcher MacArthur, nearly forgot. But unlike some pictures of players on Mama Remy's walls, the 72 year old Bates is still around, just not in MacArthur and not in Ohio.
2: Yeah, my name is Dick Bates. Uh, I'm 71 years old. Uh, I live in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm the general manager at the Arizona Biltmore golf courses right now. I've been there for about 28 years. Uh, I've been out in Arizona since, well, 69.
0: Dick stands tall with wispy white hair and a toothy smile, at least from the pictures I've seen. I'm talking with him over the phone because he hasn't lived in MacArthur for decades. Well, since his childhood. But today's MacArthur and the 1950s MacArthur still share priorities.
2: Sports, that's about it. That's what I think it was a do in MacArthur. Yeah, you played You, you played. Play some kind of sport year-round. There wasn't much else to do there. Played, you know, I played all... All, all three sports I played football, baseball, and basketball. That uh, it was all geared. MacArthur was always back then all, all geared around, you know, sports and stuff like that. And we had a bunch of kids that that moved in from West Virginia and stuff like that to play on uh, the sports there in McCarthy. It was a good sports town.
0: One of Bates' first introductions to sports was when one evening as a kid, his dad Austin Bates came home from work at the Austin Powder Company. And handed him a baseball glove.
2: He started me out very young. I mean, he bought me my first baseball glove, and he would he'd come home from work, and we'd go out in the yard, and, and you know, throw baseball about every night. And then uh, he coached our team uh, in our uh, in our primary league team. He coached our primary league team and stuff. And I he coached me all the way through uh, little league and stuff like that. So.
0: By the time he entered the halls of MacArthur High School as a freshman in 1960, the 205-pound Bates was already a starting varsity player for the football, basketball, and baseball team.
1: There was nothing going on MacArthur at football practice every night. There'd be 40 people there. We were the entertainment. They'd come there. I'd holler at someone. They'd all, <laughs> it's right up their alley. <laughs> they just had
0: fun, you know what I mean? That was Ron Finnick, Dick's high school football coach. And he made Dick run a lot for a reason.
1: Yeah, he was a good football player. What he played, for? He was a tackle. Tackle, he punted, kicked off. I mean, he could have played a lot of position. We ran the ball. We needed a tackle to knock him out of there. That's where we put him. And uh, uh, he was just... He was a good athlete.
0: The MacArthur High Generals won multiple Vinton County championships in basketball and were competitive in football, with Dick Bates being one of the leaders. Bates even received honorable mentions for the all-high football and basketball teams. But his real talent always came back to the baseball diamond. I, I used to
1: go up. I was coaching track at the time. I'd go up after practice when they'd have a home ball game. And you would watch him. His dad was his primary coach and he just looked so smooth throwing a ball. I mean, he just made it look like he wasn't even trying and yet that thing would, you know, really come in there. So...
0: His dad had an amazing baseball knowledge. His dad was smart
1: in baseball. I can remember it'd be in February, there'd be snow on the ground. He'd be out there after basketball or something, throwing 50 pitches or something, and they'd be catching. But his his dad could pick out every little thing wrong. Now, where he got all his knowledge, I don't know.
0: Just as he did when Dick was growing up, almost every single night during high school, Austin Bates and Dick would walk 500 feet from their Pearl Street home to the ballpark to work on pitching.
2: Yeah, he's very persistent. He wanted you to work and he'd he was—he'd uh, run you a lot. He'd run me a lot, and uh, he'd throw with me and work with me on my my pitches and
0: stuff like that. So
2: if he hadn't have stayed on me and you know made me go out and throw every day, I probably wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have st- stuck with it as long as I did.
0: Everyone seems to agree that Austin, nicknamed Shote by old timers, played semi-pro baseball in St. Louis sometime around the 1930s, but no one knows exactly when or where. Historical records are foggy or missing. Not even Dick knows. Rumor has it Schott was even asked by San Francisco Giants manager Charlie Fox to coach in the minor leagues, but he turned it down to stay in MacArthur.
2: But, uh, you know, my parents, my mother and dad uh, went to every, every game I ever played in high school, and that was football, basketball, and baseball. They went to every game. So even on road games, they would, uh, they would go.
0: And when his parents, Austin and Zella, saw him on the diamond, he put on a clinic. During his freshman year, he struck out 50 batters in 100 innings. Multiple games, he would fan 13 hitters, 16 hitters per game. Local media was claiming he was one of the best scholastic pitchers in southeastern Ohio, especially when the average high school pitcher throws at 75 miles per hour Dick threw fire. Dick even threw two no-hitters in a span of a week his junior year.
2: Yeah, I had a good fastball. My fastball was right around probably 90, 95, right in there. Had a real good slider and a good curveball.
0: For a small place like MacArthur, the big leagues eventually came calling.
1: We played in Newark in the tournament. So I went with Paul Haney and the ball team up there and uh, I know there were major league scouts there at that time or minor league scouts or whatever. You well, know, I've
2: had, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates had looked at me, the Senators had, were, were looking at me, and the uh, Cincinnati Reds were looking at me. You know, the, Like I said, I signed the day after I, I graduated from high school with the Washington Senators. Because it, it happened so quick. Yeah, I graduated and I signed and I was gone. There was, there was no, like, parties or anything like that. My parents didn't have a party. It it happened so quick, you don't have time to really think about it that much.
0: Dick didn't have time to say goodbye to friends. He barely had time to say goodbye to his parents. He left for Witherville, Virginia for the Rookie ball League a few days after graduation in
2: 1964. I signed and uh, I think uh, the guy picked me up to leave about, I think about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was just a a quick car ride and I got out at the ballpark there and, and... he left. That was it. He just dropped me. It's just like dropped me off on the side of the road and gone. Yeah, I am scared. I mean, you know, being 18 years old never really did that. You know, I learned how to cook myself, and and you know, you learn to. You grew up. You grew up fast. Like I said, I was the youngest guy on the team, and most of the guys that were on the team were were you know 23, 24, and they were college graduates. Most of them, you know, I played with them. And like they said, they took me. They took me under, under their like a, like a young kid. They took me, and uh, sometimes they led me the wrong way. But sometimes it was good. So on a team, I mean, especially baseball. I mean, it was real close knit. Everybody stuck together, and it was just, it was like a happy family. What it was and stuff. So, but you know, you go on road trips, and you had you had certain people that you roomed with on road trips, and. Uh, you know, you would go out after games and stuff like that. And most of the time you went out, there was probably about four or five of us that would stay together and stuff and go out. But it was being out in 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 the world. It was probably the best education that I'd probably got if I'd even went through college or whatever. I got more education out of playing baseball, and that's that's one thing I can always thank baseball for.
0: Being a baseball player meant going out with other players after games. One of the first times out on the town was when Dick was with the Geneva Sanders.
2: In in Geneva, uh, in New York, when I grew up, the drinking age up there was 18 years old, and these guys would take me out with them, and you know, I'd never really. Drank and stuff like that. Uh, but you, you get broke in real quick learning. And most of the guys that, I, that were there was not married. So it was, you know, it was kind of a rowdy time sometimes growing up in, in baseball.
0: As Dick moved from one team across the country to another, his parents still kept in touch.
2: Yeah, we talked all the time. I mean, when i was when i was uh, playing you know we i'd call home and and stuff and as as you as you stay you know go away and stay away longer uh but i would come back after season and uh you know spend some time there but i played uh i played uh winter ball a lot too every every year like when i was in uh, north carolina and stuff they would make a trip down there and spend two weeks uh, when we had, you know, a week when we were in town and stuff like that. And they'd even come to Charlotte when I played in the, in the, the uh, Carolina League and stuff too.
0: It was during his time with the A team Savannah Sanders in 1968 when Dick really came into his own. He set a then Southern League record pitching 32 consecutive scoreless innings even pitching against a team managed by former Cincinnati Reds manager Sparky Anderson.
2: Who really got me in the expansion draft was Sparky Anderson. Uh, I pitched against his team down there. He was with Ashe, I mean Asheville, and I pitched against his team and got to know him. And he's the one that really got me drafted by by the Seattle Pilots because he put the word out on me. Seattle team. Go go you pilots
1: go out and build a dream you brought the majors to the evergreen Northwest. now go, go you pilots you're going to be
0: the best the city of seattle finally for the first time had a major league baseball team in 1969 as one of two expansion teams in major league baseball that year dick was drafted 15th out of 30 players in the expansion draft and he was headed to Tampa, Arizona, for spring training. He was surrounded by baseball players he had seen on TV. Tommy Harper, Joe Pepitone, and Jim Boyden, the man who had later published the famous baseball book, Ball Four. But it wasn't meant to be. Dick was the last player cut on the Seattle Pilots roster before the start of the season. He was sent back down to the AAA team up in Vancouver.
2: It was tough because I I had probably the best spring of all the pitchers, and I was the youngest on the team uh, for the Seattle Pilots that year. They had a lot of older guys that year, and I was probably the youngest uh, on the team. I was very disappointed, I mean, because I I felt that I, I pitched well enough to make the team.
0: It was late in April when Dick was pitching against the Hawaiian Islanders in Honolulu And the famous Hawaiian pop singer Don Ho was in the stands that afternoon.
2: He'd come to the game and watch the game and invite us down to have a drink and stuff. So
0: So, Dick grabs his buddies that night and head to Don Ho's bar in downtown Honolulu.
2: Grass skirts and stuff on all kind of stuff, Hawaiian on the walls and stuff. But it was just more or less a, uh, it wasn't a restaurant or anything like that. It was just like more or less like a piano bar.
0: He was drinking with friends around 11 p.m. that night when their manager, Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Lemon, barges into the bar.
2: And yeah, you know, I me, mean, I was kind of shocked. I mean, he said, that, "You know, you got to get on a plane to go to Seattle tonight." So, so you know, being a small town uh, boy out of MacArthur High, it was it was quite a quite a thrill. Oh, they were excited about me getting called up. Yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't have much time. I mean, he he got me there, and we. He took me back to the hotel, I packed, and he took me to the airport, and I got on a plane. I got into Seattle probably uh, that next morning. It was right around probably 7, 38 o'clock. I had quite a bit of jet lag and stuff when I got there. So, but, like I said, I wasn't even supposed to pitch that day.
0: The game was at noon that day in Sixth Stadium against the Oakland Athletics. He couldn't sleep. And April 27, 1969, would be his first day in the big leagues.
2: I I was tired. I mean, I remember going to the ballpark and stuff. And you know, I was told from Bob I wouldn't pitch because I just pitched the night before.
1: The Seattle Pilots take the field, and the fans here—a huge crowd, just about packing this small ballpark. I think they can fit about 20 or 23 in here when it's completed. There are still areas in the bleachers in right field and in center field that haven't been completely finished. But right now, the fans here at Six Stadium on their feet, and momentarily, our national anthem.
0: Sixth Stadium was never meant to be a major league stadium. The Seattle Pilots were still adding extra bleachers to the stadium, shortening the right field fence to include more.
1: What did you tell me how they named the stadium, Jerry? I thought the pitchers got together and named it. I can understand why. They'd call it a sick ballpark. There's uh, <laughs> a little levity going here because of the short fences.
0: The water pressure was so bad in the stadium, it would run out by the seventh inning in each game but it was the only stadium the team could come up with in their first season.
2: I was sitting in the bullpen because I just got through, you know, I'd, I'd run and I did the running and stuff like that, and I was just sitting out there. And they called, you know, they called down to that, told me to get up and start warming up. They were surprised too, because they said, hey, Bates, hey, you know, they just called your name to get up and start warming up. <laughs> I said, I didn't, Yeah, you but know, you have no choice, you get up and start warming
0: up. It was the top of the sixth inning and Seattle Pilots starting pitcher Mike Marshall was in trouble. He had just given up a three-run homer to future All-Star Sal Bando, and the athletics were already up 5-0, no outs. The manager, Frank Schultz, wanted Dick out there instead.
2: They were the top team in the, in the American League at that, that year, so I had uh, a lot of uh, you know, butterflies and stuff when I first went out on the mound. So. McNurtney was our catcher and he'd come out. You know, he more or less said, he said I didn't think he was going to be pitching it.
0: Dick stared down the first batter, Danny Carter, a power slogan first baseman who received five MVP votes the season before. Dick walked him in five pitches.
2: You really don't even know there's people in the stand. That's how you gear yourself to to do it. So once I got there, I mean, I didn't real. And you don't think about all the people in the stands and all of that stuff. You just you go about your job pitching.
0: The next batter was Rick Monday, an upstart center fielder who had his first All-Star season just last year with the A's. So I mean it was a
2: fastball and it was it was in the middle of the plate, and you don't want to throw uh, throw it in the middle of the
0: plate. Monday smacked it over the short right field fence. For an opposite field two-run home run,
2: pitcher knows when he makes a mistake or, or hangs a ball, or you know, if you hang a curve ball or if you you pitch to where you know the guy, you you shouldn't pitch to him. You never want to throw it right down the right down the middle of the plate either.
0: Dick struck out the next two batters and got the third to ground out to the third baseman, but the damage was done. Oakland. In the top of the 7th inning with one out, Dick gives up two doubles in a row, scoring another three runs for Oakland. The lead balloons to 10-zip. Frank Schultz has seen enough, calling a new pitcher from the bullpen. Five years of toiling in the minor leagues, traveling in dimly lit buses, scraping by on the meager salary given to minor league players all led up to the dream of what this moment would be. A sleep-deprived, jet-lagged MacArthur native walked out onto the pitcher's mound and threw the best game he could, given the circumstances. But what Bates didn't know was that it would be the last time he ever saw a Major League mound on a team that would cease to exist by the next year. Time Stop is reported, produced, and hosted by myself, Liam Nehmeyer. Advising from Dr. Elizabeth Hendrickson. If you liked this episode and the rest of the series, give us a rating on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcast. It helps other people like yourself find the show. For exclusive pictures of Dick Bates' career and more extra content, go to TimestopPod.com. And thanks for listening.